Abba Father, thank you so much for grace in how you have shown me your love and you've allowed me to see your heart today. You're healing, you're working. Your grace is not wasted on your children. Would you please teach us tonight? Truth sets free, always has. Would you help us to not be dull of hearing or to have hearts that are hard? Please. You are the shepherd. We are the sheep of your pasture. You are the potter. We are the clay. Our hope is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, so excited about this. This is so rich. So deep. So let's let's walk through the text, <clears throat> and then uh, see what what the scriptures what the scriptures mean here. So John nineteen thirty eight forty two. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings, with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Okay. Let's take a walk. This is amazing. Uh, first, I want to cover some ideas, historical teachings about burial from a Greco-Roman point of view and burial from a Jewish point of view. And I think it's going to kind of unlock some things. So regarding Roman burial and, and Jewish burial combined, how a person is treated at death reveals if they're honored. All right? And that's both in Greco-Roman culture and Jewish culture. To leave a corpse unattended, to be scavenged upon, or to decompose publicly was considered dishonorable, period. Okay, it's shameful. And so um, uh, honor is directly related to how the corpse is treated. All right. Now, when Rome punishes, you know, via, via by execution, via execution, a criminal of the state, it is against the law, against Roman law, to take the corpse off the cross and bury the victim. Okay. When they've been crucified for treason, a political enemy of the state, it's against the law to take the body down. And you're well aware that a corpse left on the cross 
is a deterrent. It's a way of saying, this is what happens when you mess, mess with Rome. Make sense, Joan? So what you're saying is, it just decays on the cross? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. And they want that effect. And remember, the victims were crucified very low to the ground. Okay. And on public roadways, so it's a completely, literally in your face. Billboard, do not mess with Rome. That's the whole point. So, was Jesus Christ criminal, or was he crucified as a criminal enemy of the state? Sure. That's why Pilate had to go ahead with the execution. He had to. Checkmate. We have no king but Caesar. There it is. Christ is making himself out to be a king. That is treasonous. Therefore, he had to be crucified. Make sense? So, why does he take, allow his body to be taken down? What's going on? Big deal. Um, In Jewish tradition, the law, this is based on Deuteronomy, from the minute a man breathes his last to sundown, it's a race to get him buried. Okay? Within that day. Because it's written in Torah that to fail to do so exposes the land to pollution. There's something unclean. And you don't want to defile the land. And so it behooved them to immediately engage in a burial process. Now, there are some, quote-unquote, workaround laws. You know, there's always a law for the law for the law for the law. When you're in Judaism, there's always a loophole. And they would say, but, well, if you had to walk a long way to get your relatives, with you, you know, then, okay, you don't have to do it until tomorrow morning. Okay, I understand. You have not broken the law, you know. So they always had these little workarounds, right? But appreciate the fact that there's urgency to get this body off the cross by sundown and buried. That was the policy. Now, let's talk about honorable burial in Judaism. First, dishonorable burial. When a man, when a Jewish man was, was executed and it was time for burial, and the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, was responsible for legally executing this, this whole process, they had jurisdiction over a public grave outside the city. And they could place, hi guys, they could place the body in this open public grave with virtually no worries about dishonoring, polluting, making unclean a holy grave. Does this make sense? If you have a sinful man, why would you put his sinful body in a clean and holy sepulcher? You wouldn't do that. Okay, it wouldn't make any sense. So they would put the, they put the body in an open public grave where the body would decompose. They would take it out of this, this public tomb and then they would, they would shift it into uh, another burial process. Okay. Now, you ready? You ready to get some historical uh, upgrades here? This is amazing. Hey, James, come on in. So, you'll appreciate this. We're talking about history. You'll, you'll love this. So, did you kick off? Just in time. All right. So, for, let's, let's, let's really engage. We are sinful people, are we not? We have sinful motives. Make sense? We, have, we, we lust, we hate, we have pride. We're full, of, we full of, we're full of things that are bad, culturally bad. Where does that sit inside of us? Where does this evil motive, 
our evil deeds, lustful things, bad things, where does it sit inside of us? As, as modern Westerns, like right here, right now, where does it sit within us? It's our mindset. You see your mindset? So it's going to be in your head, right? Okay. All right, you ready for this? The ancient Jews believed that evil and your evil deeds, your guilty past, resided in your flesh. It was in your flesh, your organs, your meat, the muscle, the skin, the sinew. That evil was actually in the flesh. Okay? And so this is what happened in Judaism. They developed a two-stage burial process. Right? The first stage, you were brought into a tomb and you were, you were allowed to decompose for one year. Okay? Which was enough time for the flesh to putrefy, to rot and literally come off the bones, and after a year the skeleton remained, right? Guess what they believed? They believed that as the flesh was rotting and, and literally vaporizing, decaying away, that their sinfulness was decaying, decomposing as well. The Jews actually believed this stuff, that as your flesh rotted away, your sinfulness rotted away. And they believed that after you know, it was down to the bare bones, that you were cleansed. And you were ready for what the Jews called the resurrection. Right? What'd you say? <laughs> and so the second stage of the funeral took place, and that's the making of a bone box called an ossuary. You may have heard of these, right? Bone box. And guess what? This is fascinating. A bone box is almost identical to a, a case the scrolls, the sacred Torah scrolls would fit in. So that the spindles, the wooden spindles that the scrolls are wrapped around in is about the length of the man's femur. Right? And so after a year, someone assigned the task would gather your bones. And a, an, an ossuary had been made and it, and, and it was... This person who had died is now clean. They are pure. All is well. They're right with creator God, Yahweh. And those bones would be taken to the family where they would be placed on the, uh, in a memorable place in the house. Much like we would do a cremation and have the urn and, and there's grandma's ashes you know, on the fireplace or something or papa's ashes or something. Make sense? They would do that. They believe that. They also believed, this is interesting, that the person's personality somehow still resided in the bones. And so you wanted those bones close to you. You wanted them in your house. Those are grandpa's bones. You want them there. You know? And it was a very sacred ritual that they would go through. And so, so a, a Jewish funeral is like a year-long process and ended in that final stage. You know, there's a story in Second Kings where Elijah had been buried. Remember that, Johnny? Yeah. And uh, they were burying a, a, a dead person, and they threw. They were in a hurry, and they just threw this guy's corpse, and it touched the bones of Elijah. And what happened? Sprang back to life. You know, it's a fascinating story in the Old Testament. The personality of Elijah and his power still resided in his bones. The Jews really believed that. Okay, so that your sin was somehow embedded in your flesh. And as your body decomposed, you're going through 
a kind of cleansing. So the Jewish people believe that. Do the Catholics believe something similar? James, you familiar with that one? What about purgatory? Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well spoken, James. A bit of a halfway house where it's like, you know, we we got to get cleaned up before we go to the big house, you know? And, and, uh, and, and that's why it's called purgatory, purge, where there's this cleansing process to get you ready to meet God. And, of course, it led to horrific abuses and selling indulgences and all kinds of things. But that's the actual Jewish background on this stuff. Is this where sins of the flesh originated? Sure, sure. In fact, very good. And then the Apostle Paul said, uh, no good thing resides in my flesh. Paul believed this too, that there's something, there's something wrong with this stuff. There's something wrong with it. It's flawed material, you know. So the ancients did believe these things, okay? Now remember, they are not modern scientific persons, and they don't have to be, okay? It's just fine. This is, in fact, the cultural background. Now, now that you know that, okay, Let's, let's go ahead and appreciate the power of this moment. Knowing what you know, how does this change your reading of the text, Janice, that God resurrected Jesus on the third day? What does it say about the whole theory of decomposition of the flesh? It's, it's, you guys think you have to be in there for 12 months. Yes. Or how about this one, that the resurrection proves that there was no sin in his flesh. Decomposition for cleansing, it's called expiation, was not required. And in so doing, God rendered the verdict, not only of Pontius Pilate, but rendered the verdict also of the high priests as being in error. He was not guilty. And how about this one, Andrea? He is the word of God made flesh. Wow. So what was in him? The word of God made flesh. Fascinating when you put this in context. Does this make sense? In a normal Jewish uh, funeral where the body is laid out to decompose, Uh Has it been wrapped in linen? Right. In in uh, depending on the is, the, is the financial resources of the family, <coughs> very very poor families, the best they could do is lay the corpse in the victim's clothes, the deceased person's clothes. If they had no wrapping, couldn't afford the wrappings, and they couldn't afford spices, they would they would sprinkle the shelf with sand, or if they could, with salt and they would lay the body on top of that shelf uh, in the salt to allow it to decompose, okay? And uh, a large rock was placed over the opening, and then a secondary rock was placed over it that almost had this keying kind of effect, lock, like a lock, if you could think of it that way, very, very large rock that blocked the opening, and then there's normally some other access, you, get, you gotta get a hand on that big rock to get it out, well, it's that smaller rock that would fit in there and kind of lock it all down. Uh, once those were in place, it was now time to mourn. And the family would engage in a mourning process that would be year-long mourning for your loved one. 
Isn't that interesting? A year, a year to mourn. Rick, when today, if it's a beloved one dies and... It's a treatment for seven days. You know, you get, well, they died last week. You should be over it by now, right? You know, like we, we minimize pain. We minimize suffering. We minimize the grieving process. When in ancient Judaism, you're allowed to mourn for a year. There's still several Asian cultures that do that. Mm-hmm. I know when my grandfather died, all the children, everyone in the family wore armbands for over a year. There you so go. That's part of it. Yep, yep. Fascinating. You watch Arabs as well. They'll uh, wail and uh, they believe you get in your hell, don't they? they yeah, very good, James. That you said, yeah. And, and they would even have people gifted in wailing and crying out. And they would guide the process of helping this cathartic expression of emotion where, like you Brits, what's up with the Brits and their stiff upper lip, right? not allowed to <laughs> express emotion. So, Tony? You think about how large some of these families, they were in mourning a lot during their lives. Oh, constantly because uh, death was so common. Mm-hmm. Childbirth, child, you know, a high mortality rate of children dying at birth, mothers dying at birth, uh, women typically married older men, the men dying, and these younger women you know, now needing to find a husband, older men losing their young wife and childbirth, needing to find them. It's, it was constant. Yeah, constant. Um, and very holy. Very, very, it's a big deal. Where for us, you know, it's like, get them out of the way, you know, but we, we don't appreciate some things sometimes, so. It's not any different for us to really ask because the people that are mourning are still doing it on the inside, even though if everybody else on the outside doesn't see them doing it. Right, right. Right. And yet, okay, you guys jump in. What would you say would be spiritually, psychologically, emotionally healthy? Would it be healthy for all of us to kind of cry together over the loss of someone? Is that a healthy thing? Well, yes. What we've done over the past 50 years by detaching ourselves from death and the grieving process you know, even up until the 1950s, it wasn't uncommon for a family member to die. And after the undertaker had embalmed and prepared the body, for the body to come home in a casket, you know, and for the wake to actually be in the home. In the home, absolutely. Uh, but then as funeral homes became more, you know, the home for the body. Mm-hmm. You know, we've detached ourselves and sure. removed sure. ourselves sure. from that part of the grieving process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Rick, you nailed it. Yeah. We, we like to avoid things, don't we? We don't want to see it. Even aging parents, we don't want to see it. So we have nursing homes. We don't want to be around it. It's offensive. And then we have funeral homes. Yeah. So it's a shift away from the honor of caring for the elderly where there's three, four generations under the same roof, and in the death process where the corpse would be in the house, yeah. on a table. Sometimes for two or three days. Absolutely, absolutely. And, so, you know, the problem for us, I think, is a culture. What we've done to ourselves, and the reason, and part of the rationale or reason why we've done this is because, as you said, we want to avoid you know, you know, the acceptance of our own mortality. Yes, yeah, exactly. 
we there's finality here, absolutely. And so, I mean, as Amy had just mentioned, wouldn't it be beautiful if we could all cry together and all share in this corporate grief process as a village, as a community, as opposed to someone losing a loved one and they've got to just kind of internalize it and keep it to themselves because I don't want to dump my emotions on you, you know. We do that a lot as Westerners. Uh, and I, I, I can't help but to think that you know, there's a correlation between, you know, between that, you know, how we've moved that way as a society, and as a society we've become so much more narcissistic. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're more in love with our cell phones than we are people sometimes. We'll treat our cell phones better than people. Absolutely. So, well, you know, one of the Americans, particularly, puts aside European healthcare systems and talk about death balance when the doctors are actually doing a sit down with other people saying, but we're here, we're alive here, and yeah. this will probably be the best course of action. The response in the US is death panels. Sure. Did you see what happened in the Netherlands? No, I didn't. Yeah, they're, in fact, they're the nation leading out in euthanasia right now. And there was a famous case where. Uh, a man who was terminally ill uh, was forced was forced to die, and that the hospital moved in and took jur jurisdiction over what the family wanted. So it's just an example where this where this whole party's going. Okay, now Terry mentioned about about wrapping. Should a family have some resources, they could have linen that could be very difficult to acquire. You would imagine. And the way they would bury someone is the body would be washed. If they had the resources, they would, they would take some of the, um, the aloe, the myrrh, whatever the uh, spices were, mix some water, and they would make a paste, and they would spread it on the body, right? And this would help kind of seal it. It would help reduce the smell in the putrefaction process. And then when they would wrap, they would wrap a layer and they would sprinkle spices on that layer, then another layer of wrappings, and they would sprinkle as each layer would be applied, and they believed that this would help the uh, uh, honorable, and it shows them, honor shows the family that they're honoring the loved one, reduces the smell during the decomposition process. Now someone said, okay, what about, what about this, uh, the weights? Look at this, uh, verse 39. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, okay? About 100 pounds weight. What do your translations say? What's, what's 75 that? Pounds. 75 pounds. 75 pounds. <gasps> we have a mistake. There must not be a god upon the earth. Well, 100 weight in England is 112 pounds. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Somebody else, what do you show in your Bibles? Any translation notes here? What the weight? 75. Anybody else? So a pound... Greek is 100 Yes. Yes. And in terms of U.S. poundage, it's about 12 ounces. So this is not 100 pounds U.S. weight. It's 100 pounds their scale, which is like a 12 ounce pound. So it's about 75 pounds. Something like that. Okay. Now, um, does that seem like an exaggeration to give glorious honor to Jesus when, you know, these poor little Christians are struggling, but we're going to make Jesus look really good in the end? 
absolutely not. This is completely plausible historically. When uh, Herod the Great died, you ready for this? 500 slaves carried spices and other things over, it stretched out like 80 kilometers in this dramatic procession to his gravesite. 500 men carrying spices for Herod the Great. When the great rabbi Gamaliel died, Ankalos, one of his students that wanted to honor him, had 80 pounds of spices burned in his honor, like incense, <laughs> not for the wrappings. Okay? So this is completely in keeping with uh, spices that would be accessible for someone with wealth, which is both Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Just for a little trivia, I want you to appreciate this. This is Arimathea right here. This is Joppa over here, all right? And this is, you can see this here, this is the the Dead Sea. And there's Bethlehem, the sea, the lay of the land, okay? That's Arimathea. Guess who was born there? You are amazing. Thank you. Besides little Joe, we have Nick at night and little Joe. Guess what? Some little guy named Samuel who said, you know, Eli, here I am, Lord. Call his little boy, the prophet Samuel, born in Arimathea. An amazing place, okay? All right. So, uh, they took the body, they bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Okay. Question. Question. Yes, ma'am. Okay. In verse 40, uh-huh. so they, so did they have a plan together, or did they just happen that Lord, the Lord God orchestrated them coming together at the same time. Okay, this is really good. Thank you, Joey. So let's, uh, let's do a little Greek. I promise no one will be harmed in the doing of a little Greek. So check this out. Um, so Joseph of Arimathea uh, was a secret disciple. Right. A secret one, okay? Uh, this is the term here. Okay, krumenos from the root krupto. This form of the verb secret is a passive participle. Ouch. He's been secret for a long time. He's been undercover for a long time. Okay. So it's both Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who are on the council in Jerusalem. They're top political leaders. They're on the Sanhedrin. Does this make sense? Okay. I think they knew each other. And they knew of what their plan was. And at that, in fact, it said they <coughs> opposed the crucifixion. They were opposed to them. So these men, um, I think God had, had them planted in the Sanhedrin. Just like Russia might have a spy inside the U.S., accomplishing purposes. Of course, we would not do that with Russia. We know that. 
we don't spy on anybody, right? That's, that was a joke. <laughs> Didn't go up really well there, but it, but it was, thank you. So, you know, they have their spies, we have ours, you know, we're all trying to do espionage. So I think God, I think God had uh, little Joe and, and Nick at night in there for a reason. I do. And by the way, they, let, let's talk about secrecy and faith. Uh, this is a big deal. Crypto means to make hidden, to conceal. It means to intentionally, to seek to escape notice. To escape notice is what this means. Okay. Um, take your Bibles. I want you. To, I want you to see this. This, is, this will be important. Look at uh, John chapter twelve. Start there, John 12, and let's look at the history here of secrecy and what what was going on in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas. So, everybody there, John 12, someone read 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be banned from the synagogue. Well, they loved praise from men more than praise from God. So it's interesting, and I want you to catch something here. There was tremendous political pressure to not defect from the synagogue. Don't do it. And if you did, it was actually, it's a punishable crime to be proselyted out of Judaism into this Christian sect thing. It was a punishable offense, and they were afraid to do that. The pressure was so great that they were willing to keep it quiet for fear of the Jews. Now, the writer of John makes a, uh, the writer of this gospel makes a comment. Is it judgmental? They loved the praise of men more than God. Absolutely. And yet, God, in his infinite wisdom, as two men quietly hidden away to deal with the burial of his son, who were accused and would be considered shamefully acting in secrecy, X number of chapters ago, but now chapter 19 and 20, they are considered to be men who are moving out of secrecy into the light. Let's talk politics. Jesus has died as a criminal of the state. Why would you want his body? Now, for religious reasons, we get it. But do you think it's a bit political? It's dangerous to ask... For the body of a man that committed treason? Sure. Who's asking for the body? What's that? Who's asking for the body? Joseph of Arimathea. Yeah. In fact, there's an argument, uh, James, that he paid Pilate off because he knew better than to ask for that body. Yeah, but when you talked about Pilate's main belief. That's the other argument. Is it possible that Pilate became a secret believer? Exactly. Yep. So either out of sympathy, mm-hmm. 
or out of a payoff? Some scholars argue well, that there's a payoff. I think it, some of part of it is, I think there's on Pilate's part, uh, guilt. Plus, he, plus he's good. he knew he was not guilty. He knew it. Yep. And, 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 in, and for that reason, he was sympathetic afterwards. That would be the only, that would be the most plausible. And, but we have to understand, though, does that mean Pilate is at risk? What Roman law? You do not take the corpse off the cross for someone committing treason. Well, so Pilate took know, risk. But in in Judea, Rome cut the Jews a very wide berth. There was a so season they, when they did, yes. More so than they did any other conquered yeah. land. Yeah. And yeah. for the political well-being of Judea, I can see Caesar cutting Pilate a lot of slack here. Yeah, and actually, you're, you're almost there. Tiberius, the emperor, is the one that gave a wide margin of grace to, to Israel. It was Pilate who was the one violating that. Pilate was brutish and cruel to the Jews. And when, when Tiberius found out what Pilate was doing, that's when he had Pilate executed. So, but you're on to something. Yes, yes, Tiberius, there was a season of a lot of grace given to Israel under Tiberius' reign. Not before, certainly not before, and certainly not afterwards. But uh, Pilate was the one that was rogue and was just mean. He hated Jews. But that's different he did. than the Christ follower. Yes. If he was the Christ sympathizer. Yes. Yeah. And that is why in Eastern Christian countries, they believe that Pilate and his wife, Procla, converted. And they actually have deified them as saints and martyrs. Yeah. They've mounted Pilate as a martyr, a Christian martyr. Fascinating. So, all right. There was risk in going to Pilate to ask for the body. Now, whether there's a payoff, a bribe, or whether there, it was just that Pilate was sympathetic his own guilt, uh, you know, we'll find out one day. But the body was released to Joseph of Arimathea, and these two men, probably with their own servants, were carrying those spices, carrying the linens and other things that would be necessary to prepare the body, moved quickly to give him honor. Now, based on honor-shame principles, to bury a man with 75 pounds of spices implied what? Let me, let me step back a second here. Okay. Because I think that it's a, it's, there's a good point in the metamorphosis that takes place in Joseph. Yes. From being a secret disciple. Yes, coming to the light. All of a sudden being emboldened yes. to go publicly yes. to Pilate and to, you, he couldn't have done this to go to Pilate without the knowledge of the rest of the Sanhedrin. Yes. So yes. here you have a man who for a long time has been a, a secret admirer and now all of a sudden with you know Christ being crucified he's emboldened. Yes. And yep. he now goes public. Yeah. That's and, also a fulfillment of prophecy too, isn't it? Of him being a rich man and him being laid in a rich man's tomb. Sure. Sure. Isaiah, which would even more upset the, yeah. the council. So let's push what Rick is saying because there are several scholars that say what John is doing is he's providing 
this obscure man is now all of a sudden an ideal disciple? When those who are long-term disciples, where are they? They have, they're gone. So the ones that swore allegiance, I'll, I'll, I'll die with you, are gone. And it's the ones who are hiding in the shadows, two of them, that came out and took political risks to do this. By the way, what did Jesus say? When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Well, I think there's another parallel here, too. Sure. And Jesus is talking about the story where man goes out and he's hiring laborers throughout yes. the day. Very good. And the laborer mm-hmm. who he hires early in the day mm-hmm. is paid mm-hmm. the same wage as the laborer who he hires last. Yes. Late in the day. Yes. The one hour the guy gets the same pay as the guy that worked all day. Exactly. It's good. Very, very good, Rick. You've done well. So, okay, how do we move it into our lives today? Do you see that Jesus was buried in, in a kind of royal funeral event? This is kind of a burial fit for a king, which is exactly what his title was uh, at his crucifixion. What was his crime? The king of the Jews. <laughs> you know. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. So it, there's, the irony is thick. It beautiful imagery that he is the king and he is getting an honorable burial and then the resurrection event in three days before decomposition can really set in uh, he's resurrected well, I've always uh, thought of Pilate in terms of not only what he wrote but what he allowed afterwards yeah. was that he didn't have a problem with Jesus being king of the Jews. Not at all. Because I think he really recognized that you know, the king of the Jews uh, in the case of Jesus was not a political king. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he even said, look, you settle your own religious affairs. I don't, I don't care. But when the Jews turned it political and they, they brought in Caesar, yeah, you're right. That's good. So how do we pull this into our world? What lessons do we learn today? I think first and foremost is, you know, the example of Joseph. You know, the, you know, the boldness that he had to, to speak out. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the lesson we can take from his courage. Yes, absolutely. There's a time to step into the light, isn't there? Yeah. It's never too late. Never too late. Good word, Dave. Never too late. Yeah. There's no actual physical remains of Jesus. He was resurrected. Oh. Yeah, uh, and there's none. I, I think the Shroud of Turin is not real. I think it's late. There was a fire that damaged the, the Shroud, by the way, and the carbon dating, I think, is disturbed. Uh, I don't know. It was like the Middle Ages. Middle Ages. Yeah, late. Late, you know. So, uh, um, no, there's none that I'm aware of. So his whole being was resurrected? Yes, yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Am I wrong in uh, 
saying that it was normally women that prepared the body for burial? Uh, yes and no, not necessarily. Yeah, but they would they would also participate. Yeah, family members would participate, males, so females. Yeah. yeah, and it would depend on the status of the person that died. So sure. Yeah. Again, that's that uh, continued all the way up to really 150 years ago, 200 mm -hmm. years ago in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, you were the the funeral home. Mm -hmm. You were the nursing home. You didn't farm it out to somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Hmm. Stephen, would you want to introduce the Lord's Supper? <laughs>